Welcome to the podcast for First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights. In this sermon series, Black Swan, we are exploring Jesus through the eyes of Mark's gospel. We are going to be looking at the reason why Jesus, who started off as a poor peasant from Nazareth, became one of the most influential figures in the Western world. I hope you enjoy. Our second scripture reading today, it comes from Mark chapter 4, verses 10 to 20. This is a continuation of what we were just reading, and Jesus is now going to provide an explanation of the parable of the sower. When he was alone, those who were around him, along with the twelve, asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything comes in parables, in order that they may indeed look, but not perceive, and may indeed listen, but not understand, so that they may not turn again and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? Then how will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. These are the ones on the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. When they hear the word, they immediately receive it with joy. But they have no root and endure only for a while. Then when trouble or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are those sown among the thorns. These are the ones who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the lure of wealth and the desire for other things come in and choke the word, and it yields nothing. And these are the ones sown on the good soil. They hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirty, sixty, and one hundredfold. This is the word of the Lord. So last week, our sermon series brought us up through the end of Mark chapter 3. And if you weren't here for what I talked about last week, I need to get you up to speed because the atmosphere at the end of chapter 3 actually has bearing on what we're going to be talking about today in chapter 4. So chapter 3, it represents both a high point and a low point in Jesus' ministry. It's a high point in the sense that he is at the peak of his fame. There are crowds that follow him everywhere, and he has developed an inner circle of disciples on whom he depends as he travels from one town to the next. But it's a low point in the sense that these crowds have become very intrusive into his life. He goes home to rest and eat some food, and the crowds are so up in his business that he can't even get the food to his mouth. And then there are some scribes in the crowd that are calling Jesus evil. They say that he gets his powers to heal from Satan. And then in the midst of all this as well, his family is working their way through the crowd because they have heard a rumor that Jesus has gone crazy, and so they're trying to take him away. And all of this turbulence, it culminates in Jesus disowning his biological family and saying that his true family is anyone who loves and follows God. And so it's on this sour note that we end up going into chapter 4, where Jesus tells his most famous parable, the parable of the sower. 
Now, how many of you have ever heard this parable before? Heard it preached on in church? Somewhere around here? Okay. So it shows that you have at least a sense of what it is, right? I know I've heard it a lot growing up. It comes up a lot in the lectionary when you're not doing sermon series like I do. And so one of the biggest issues that I find with this particular parable is that it's preached out of context. So what happens is the pastor just takes it, preaches on it as it stands, and then you don't really know what came before it. And I assume that that really didn't matter. But then, as I was studying Mark, I came to realize, actually, it makes a big, big difference to understand what happens before it because it has an impact on how you read what he says in the parable. So at the end of chapter 3, what did I tell you? He ends up disowning his family. So I think we can all agree Jesus is not having the best day, right? He's not in the best mood. He's a little bit hangry. He's hungry, angry, right? And the way that Jesus deals with his hanger is that he tells parables. That's how he gets back at the people who have made him mad. And so he tells this parable. Now, I know that we have all heard the parable many, many times before, but I want to walk you through it so we're all hearing it the same way because that's actually really, really important. So Jesus, when he tells this parable, he's talking about a guy who's walking along a path and he's going out to a field in order to plant seeds. So he's going along this path, he's going to plant the seed. But what makes this guy interesting and peculiar and different is that he doesn't wait to get to the field in order to plant his seed. Instead, as he walks, he begins indiscriminately throwing seed as he goes. And so some of the seed, you know, it lands on the path where he's walking. And this path, if you've ever been on a dirt path, you know that it gets packed down, right? From people walking on it, so it's hard. And so the seed, when it falls on this path, what happens? Well, it just lays on the top. And so birds, they can come down and they can swoop it up because it's easy food for them. But then if you go a little bit further out on the path, what happens? Well, it's not packed down as hard anymore and it's rocky, the soil. And so some of that, it lands in that rocky soil and it ends up getting planted in there. But the roots, it can't grow very deep. And so when the plant springs up, well, when it hits the elements, that plant dies very quickly. But then some of it, if you've ever seen those paths, you know, you get a little further over and then there's brush on the side because as people walk, the brush gets pushed off to the side and so there's thorns and there's thistles. And so some of that seed, it falls in those thorns and thistles. And so as it grows up, it ends up getting the life choked out of it. And then some of it, he throws it far enough that it actually gets into good soil where it plants. And then it produces a great yield as he says, 30 and 60 and 100 times. Now, in most of Jesus' parables, we are never told exactly what the meaning is. And that's good for people like me, because that gives me a job to actually be able to come in here and tell you what it means. But in this particular parable, he actually does tell us what it means. And so we don't have to guess about the interpretation. Jesus starts by saying that the seed in this parable, it represents the word. Now, the word was a very common term that was used by some of the early Christians to describe Jesus' message. 
So the seed represents the word, and the word represents Jesus' message. And so the sower is any person who goes out and tries to spread Jesus' message. And therefore, the soil in this parable, that represents a person's heart and how receptive you are to that message. So for some people, our hearts are hard, like the path, right? You hear Jesus' message, but it just doesn't penetrate. It bounces off, and you just keep on walking. For others, though, their heart is like the rocky soil. They hear Jesus' message, and they say, you know, that's great. I really want to be a part of that. But if they encounter any difficulty or challenges as a result of being Christian, well, they immediately abandon it. And then there's some people who have thorns and thistles in their heart. They hear Jesus' message, it's planted in good soil, but when it grows up, the worries of the world just get in the way of everything that Jesus is asking them to do. They're too worried about making a living. They're too worried about raising their families, about saving for retirement, about making sure that their friends and everybody around them are doing well. And so they end up just abandoning Jesus' message. And then there's some people, though, who it plants inside of them, and Jesus' message becomes everything to them. They spend their entire life trying to bring Jesus' message to fruition in the world. Now, as you were listening to this list, I'm sure you were trying to figure out, uh, which category best represents me? Where am I in, this, in all of these categories that he brings up? But if you had trouble basically pegging yourself into a single category, I think that's because we are not forever fixed in one category or another. I believe that we're always kind of moving between these different categories. And this is not just the different stages of our life. I mean, like, different days you can feel different ways. I know that I wake up in the morning sometimes, and there are days when I really don't feel like I believe any of this. Jesus, God, the Bible... I mean, religion, it all feels so foreign and distant and out of touch with the struggles of our present world. And it's during times like that where I wonder, should I even be getting up here and preaching? But then there are other days when there feels like there is nothing more relevant than Jesus' message. That the things that he says brings meaning to my life in ways that nothing else could. And so I vacillate between believing and doubting between caring and apathy. But you want to know why I continue to try to preach Jesus' message week after week, besides the fact that you pay me to be up here to do it? It's because I have seen the fruit of Jesus' message in the world around me. When I invest in what Jesus talks about, I see the benefits that happen in the world. And so as a result of that, I choose to believe in what Jesus is saying. I choose to believe that it's true and that it has validity. Now, this is really important that you understand this point. We all make a choice as to how opened or closed we are to Jesus' message. It is a choice. Now, that choice, it can be influenced by a lot of different things in your life. So, for instance, let's talk about how you grew up. Maybe you grew up in a house where you were forced to go to church every single Sunday. I'm sure that didn't happen to anybody in here, but 
maybe you might know something about that, right? If there were, all the kids at the other services were like, yeah, that's me right here. <laughs> right here. So you grew up, and you're forced to go to church. And so you ended up resenting it. Well, I can understand how that would influence your decision to want to be part of Jesus' movement. Or let's say your parents got a divorce, and the church made it very clear that your parents were no longer welcome in church, and that they were bad people for dissolving their marriage. Well, I can understand how that might influence your decision to want to be part of Jesus' movement. Or maybe you're the kind of person who actually really likes what Jesus has to say. You, you think it might be worthwhile to check it out, but you know what? You're a little scared because of how much violence is perpetrated and justified in the name of religion. Looking over at France just this past week, you can see something like that, and you're worried about the social stigma that's attached to religion, and so you don't want your friends judging you. That could very much influence your decision to stay home. Or maybe you grew up and you had a perfectly wonderful time in the church. Everything was good, no problems whatsoever. But you're busy, you don't really have any time, and you know that's no excuse, but you got a lot of other things that are more important. And you decide, you know what, it's just a lot easier to stay home than to get up on Sunday morning. Now obviously you all are here, so you don't believe that, but I'm sure you know people who are like that. Maybe even people in your own families who are like that, right? So, I could give you a billion other examples, right? But the point is that it's always a choice. Even if you have these environmental factors, it is always a choice. And that is why I find Jesus' words in Mark's rendition of this parable to be so unusual. You see, Jesus, he tells his parable, and then the disciples, they come over to him, and they're like, hey, Jesus, we didn't understand what that meant. Could you explain it to us? And before he gives his interpretation, he says something that is really striking. In fact, I almost guarantee you, you have never once heard a pastor preach about this section of this parable because it's like it doesn't make any sense. You look at it and you say, well, I'll just skip over that. In fact, in the lectionary, they don't even include it. So, this is what he says. He says to the disciples, before he gives to the, the interpretation, he says, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But to those on the outside, everything comes in parables. So that they may indeed look, but not perceive. And so they may indeed listen, but not understand. So that they might not turn and be forgiven. I'll say that one part last, one more time. So they might not turn again and be forgiven. Jesus is saying that he speaks in parables because there are certain people that he doesn't want to understand what he is saying because he doesn't want them to be forgiven. In other words, he doesn't want everyone to be open to his message. He hopes some people don't get it because he doesn't feel they deserve God's forgiveness. Now, this is not exactly the Jesus that we are used to hearing about. Can we agree on that? I mean, usually, when I get up here, who do I say Jesus is? Jesus is this guy who is loving and accepting and caring and welcomes anybody into the fold. But according to this passage, oh, nothing could be further from the truth. 
So why is Jesus acting this way? Why is Jesus explicitly saying that he doesn't want some people to be part of God's kingdom? Well, I think there's a very reasonable explanation, and it has to do with something that's going on in this parable that we often overlook, an assumption that we bring to it. So in this parable, I think what we always assume to be true is that the sower, right, the person planting the seed, that the seed that he's planting is all the same, that the seed is all good. But you have to remember, a sower is any person who spreads Jesus's message. So the way that you portray Jesus's teachings and the way I portray Jesus's teachings, well, those can be two very different things. So even though we're both sowers of the word, we can be planting very different kinds of seed. So there's good seed and there's bad seed. And both of them look like Jesus, but at the end of the day, they grow into very different kinds of plants. Now, if you're confused about what I'm saying, I'm going to make it simple for you. You want me to give you an example of these two different kinds of seeds? All right. There are generally two ways that Christians try to motivate people on the outside of the faith to believe in Jesus. It's either through fear or through love. The fear message sounds like this. Tell me if you've heard this one before. If you don't believe in Jesus, then when you die, your soul is going to burn in hell for all eternity. Ever heard that one before? Oh, absolutely you have. Okay, now the person who responds to that message, they do so because they are scared of the consequences of what's going to happen to them when they die. They are trying to prevent all of these negative repercussions. And so they're like, sure, I'll believe in that because I don't want that to happen to me. Now the love message, it sounds a little bit like this. God sent us Jesus so that we might know that we're never alone. So that in the midst of all of our struggles, we know that God is always there for us. Through Jesus, we know that with God's love in our hearts, that God is going to be able to alleviate our suffering and through us and others, alleviate other people's suffering in the world. Now, the person who hears that message, they're going to respond to it very differently. They're responding to the love and compassion that is in that, and they're responding because they believe that by following Jesus, their life tomorrow is going to be better than their life today. Now, I used to believe that both messages, the fear message, the love message, that they were equally valid. I believe that because I thought that, you know what, some people just respond better to fear, and you know, we're all Christians, and we're all in the same family, and we can still all do good things for God's kingdom. I have since revised my thinking on that. I do not believe that they are equal any longer. In my opinion, believing in Jesus out of fear of going to hell is bad seed. You want to know why? Because when you believe out of fear, then the entire foundation of your faith is built on the wrong motivation. So Jesus tells us, he says that in God's kingdom, you are a servant first and foremost. That means you are more concerned with serving others than with serving yourself. 
But when you believe in Jesus out of fear, then the entire motivation for you to believe is to save yourself. It's about self-preservation. It's not about serving others. That's a very different kind of belief and a very different kind of seed than what we find in the love plant, right? The love seed, which says God loves us so that we can love others. And ultimately, you have to realize that both of these seeds, that they both represent Jesus, right? Both of these. These are both Jesus seeds, but they end up growing into very, very different kinds of plants. So let's take the first plant. We'll call that the fear plant, okay? So the fear plant, it is only concerned with its own safety. It is not concerned with building the kingdom. It is not concerned with serving the poor. It is not concerned with making sure that people who are lost and forgotten find hope. It only wants what it needs so that it can be saved in the future. And that's kind of like a cactus. And actually, I put these back in the wrong place. A cactus. So a cactus. Have you ever had the unfortunate consequence of running into a cactus? Okay. A cactus, these are loner plants. In nature, they grow up by themselves. And the reason why they do that is because they, can, they suck up the water from the ground, they take only what they need, and they don't want anything to bother it. Right? And that's why they have all these thorns all over it, because they want things to stay away from it. They only take what they need so they can survive. Now, the other kind of plant, we'll call that the love plant. It is not concerned with its own safety. It is willing to grow in difficult and challenging places. It's willing to give up what it has so that other plants can thrive. It understands that the most important thing is showing love and acceptance and compassion to those in the garden who have been lost and forgotten and neglected. And that's kind of like this rosemary plant. Now, what do we use rosemary for? It's an herb, right? We put it in our cooking. But that's what we use it for. That's not what it's really for in nature. In nature, the rosemary plant, what it does is it puts off an aroma, and that aroma actually prevents bugs from attacking the plants that are around it. So its entire purpose in existing is to try to save the plants that are around it from suffering. It exists to help the other plants out. That's its goal in nature. A very, very different kind of plant than a cactus. So, if you ask me, the reason why Jesus sits there and says that he doesn't want some people to understand his message, that he doesn't want some people to understand what he's saying, it is because he realizes that there is a big difference between these different seeds, that not all seeds are equal, and that not everyone is equipped to be his representative. And this makes a lot of sense when you think about what happens in chapter 3. Remember chapter 3, what's going on? You have the scribes who are saying that he's evil, you have his family who thinks he's crazy, and these negative images, they're going to plant bad seeds 
in people's hearts. And then he looks out at the crowd around him, and he knows that most of these people, they are for him. But even a lot of these people aren't going to be spreading good seeds. So he starts talking in parables because he only wants the most discerning people to understand what he is saying so that only good seeds are spread around on his behalf. Make sense what I'm saying? So this raises a really important question for us, which is, what kind of seeds are you spreading for Jesus? What kind of Jesus do you represent to the world around you? If somebody met you and they learned about your involvement in our church, would they sit there and say, huh, that's interesting. Never would have guessed that about you. Or would they say, you know what, I knew there was something different about you. And you know what, I also want to be part of whatever it is you're doing because I can tell that it makes a big difference in your life and that you're making a big difference in other people's lives. Whether you like it or not, we are all sowers of Jesus's message. The question is, are you planting good seeds or bad seeds? And so I end this morning saying that my prayer for you is that you might plant good seeds so that others might know the love and compassion of Jesus Christ. Because there's a lot of cactuses in the garden of life, but there's not a whole lot of rosemary. Amen. Thanks for listening. And if you want to learn more about First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights, please visit www.fpcah.org for more information on service times, directions, and to learn more about the First Pres family of faith.